Our reading is Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 34. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? 
Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and let your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray together, shall we? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the way in which your word is relevant to us and strikes us. Your word is alive and you are a living God. We pray that you would meet us where we are. Give us the food for today that we need. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're living through difficult times, aren't we? Fear of the unknown, fear of illness, um, reminiscent in some ways of past times of plague, certainly things that most of us have never known before. And I don't know if you're like me, but you find yourself imagining the worst. Your brain goes into sort of overdrive. And no doubt there will be things that uh, we are going to need to change over the next few weeks and months, maybe even the next few days. Um, for many of us, in fact, we've already changed certain things, haven't we? Our habits and our routines are changing, uh, even our most basic routines. And some of that, of course, is good. It's really good that we should be aware of hygiene and our need to uh, be um, clean. It's really important that we have an uh, extra attention to being considerate to other people. Um, some of the changes are costly. Um, Self-isolation is not a nice term and even less a nice thing to have to do. Some of the changes that we're facing are necessary changes. They'll change the way we relate to others and even the way we do church. Uh, in fact, in a number of countries across Europe today, um, churches are closed and Christians cannot gather together. There may be similar restrictions on us in the future for a time. We just don't know. Some of these changes we just have to work with. But some of um, the reactions to our changes are unhelpful. Around us today there is much fear, isn't there? And it shows itself in some pretty extreme ways. Um, panic buying, bulk 
purchases. Um, we only need to be uh, in Tesco's or Waitrose to see uh, the effect of that and some strange things that people are buying up. I mean, I can understand some things, but um, like, like pasta, I suppose, but why on earth would you want like 2,000 loo rolls in your home? I can't imagine, but there we go. Uh, people respond in irrational ways sometimes. And we do imagine the worst, don't we? It often brings out the anxiety in us. Our techno technology, information, media-driven culture makes it quite hard not to get sucked into the whirlpool created by constant and worrying news. And we know that worry generates fear. And fear is a strong motivator. It can have a massive collective impact. But fear is not the only motivator. And it is certainly not the best one. There is a better way. And this morning's passage points us that way. It is the way of faith. I'm struck that time and again in scripture at moments of crisis, God calls his people not to be driven by fear, but by their trust in him. The biblical story tells us of times of much greater crisis than what we are having to face at the moment. And every time there is um, a prophetic call, the prophets rise up and they call the people not to give in to collective psychosis, but to dare to trust God. And so moments of crisis actually become moments of opportunity. The opportunity for us to think outside the box, to do things differently, not to be driven by fear, but to be driven by faith. And we know that fear paralyzes. It shuts old things down. But faith energizes. It revitalizes. It finds ways to open new things up. Now we're in a series of sermons that we've entitled The Jesus Way, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And our passage for today could not have been better chosen if we had tried. Jesus is teaching his disciples not to live by outward things, but by inward things. Not following the crowd, but following the master. Not driven by fear, but driven by faith. And I really believe that um, today's crisis is not just a time for fear. It is a time for faith. I believe God is calling us to faith. And in particular, faith in the three areas that Jesus identifies in our passage. First of all, we are called to pray. We're not quite sure how far and how long the coronavirus will go. We don't know how it's going to affect us, but we do know that there will be challenges and changes. Changes to our personal lives, but also changes to the way that we do church. We'll see it in the next few weeks. We can see it, no doubt, already today. People not feeling comfortable coming to church and being surrounded by others, and that's okay. They will prefer to stay at home, but some people will have to stay at home. 
and would have preferred to be with the community. But they have to stay at home because they're in quarantine or because they're self-isolating or because they're sick. You know, it's a strange time where words that we normally resist as bad are now being embraced as necessary. Self-isolating. Social distancing. Those are things that speak of distance, not proximity. And yet actually bringing people together into proximity is what the church does. It's what the church is about. So in our day to do church, we need to think differently. And Jesus' teaching on prayer does just that. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't begin his teaching on prayer with the gathered church. He doesn't begin with the many, he begins with the few. In fact, he begins with me in my room with my heavenly father. I have gone into the inner place, the place of safety. I have gone into the place of self-isolation. And there I have found that my heavenly father is already waiting for me. You know, however isolated we are, our Heavenly Father is always waiting for us, waiting to meet us, and according to Jesus in this passage, also waiting to reward us, waiting to pour out his love, to turn mourning into gladness, isolation into deep and and precious communion with him. But Jesus' teaching on prayer introduces a paradox because um, when you pray, he says, go into the inner room, shut the door, and there pray to your Father who is in heaven, saying, our Father. In a mysterious way, as we pray on our own, we connect with others. We're part of the church. We take our place in the spiritual battle We stand alongside others. We exercise faith. Physically, we may be alone, but spiritually, we are in the heart of the community. We're lifting others up before the Father. We're asking for his kingdom to come, his will to be done in our lives collectively, in their lives. We're asking for daily bread for us not daily bread for me. So there is a way of being church even when we're isolated physically. And it comes through prayer. That's our first call today. God is calling us to pray. Now, over the next few weeks, we'll as a church be doing or we can, of course, to maintain our worshipping and and pastoral structures and and links with the church. Church services will continue, of course, but we will also be live streaming them on the internet um, from next week. In fact, some are watching already today. So that those who can't come physically are connected spiritually. That's one of the amazing blessings of our technological age. But we also want to to try and provide pastoral support through a a network. 
And we've identified 35 members of our church who we are asking to be designated leads with this. And we're asking them to be able then to contact five to 10 members of our church regularly, maybe through phone calls, maybe through developing WhatsApp groups. And that way we're gonna develop a network. So if you're a regular member of our church, you'll be receiving an email this week asking for permission for us to share your, um, your phone number with a designated person. And we'll be asking certain people to be designated people so that we can phone each other, so that we can explain how we're doing, so we can be attention giving to those who are most vulnerable, so we can pray. Because this is an opportunity to be part of a bigger thing. And the problem with physical isolation is that our world caves in on ourselves. But as Christians, we always have an open door as we come to our Father in prayer. Now is an opportunity to seek God, not just for ourselves, but for those around, to carry others before God. Now is an opportunity for us to pray. Now, if your prayer life is, as mine often is, centered mainly on yourself, this is a great opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to think bigger, for us to rise to the challenge of faith. We can pray for those who are physically vulnerable. We can pray for our neighbors, pray for those who are financially insecure and who are worried about needing to take time off work. We can pray for those who live in countries where there are no public health systems. We can pray for those who don't have family or friends around and who are facing this situation alone. We can pray for those who are working in healthcare. We can pray for our political leaders who are responding to this crisis as best they can. We can pray. And as we pray, we invest in the kingdom. We step outside ourselves. Now you may want to pray on your own. You may want to connect informally with other people. Why not ring them? Why not take the initiative to ask how you can pray for someone else? Why don't you just set up a Skype connection with someone? Don't wait for the church to organize something officially. But we do want to be active as a church. We've set up um, for this coming week a 24-7 prayer rota. And you'll find on the notice board at the back of church a, a one-hour slot for every hour of the week. And we're asking people to sign up to commit to praying for one hour. We don't have to cover every day. We're not like, this isn't a, like a mechanical thing. But this is a way of us engaging and saying that we want to give time in prayer so if you can give an hour a day or an hour in the week, just put your name on the list. And then from this week, we're going to try and put that online so that people can sign up online and know that they're connected. Praying for the church, praying for the world, praying for others, maybe you can sign up. Our first challenge, God is calling us to pray. The second challenge I believe is that God is calling us to fast. Now, we're in a period of Lent, and some of us have given up things as part of our Lenten discipline. But suddenly I think we're gonna find ourselves without things that we are used to and without choosing it. And I'm not just talking about toilet rolls. 
Our regular routines will change. As a church, we've taken the decision to stop our non-regular activities. Family fun day, midweek concerts, even the half night of prayer has been canceled. It's a kind of fasting. Even stopping prayer meetings can be a form of fasting if it drives us to God in new and fresh ways. One member of the church said to me this week how as business trips and meetings have been cancelled, he has found himself with unexpected time on his hands. Others are working from home, a new and maybe strange experience which means less time in traffic jams, more time on your hands, a form of fasting. According to Jesus, fasting is not a formal religious practice to do out there in front of everyone else to show them how spiritual we are. It's a deep inner sort of experience of stripping down, of becoming available in new ways to God. Now, in our evangelical tradition, we have for a long time underplayed fasting. It's too Catholic, too religious, too this, too that. But Jesus doesn't say if, he says when. And maybe God is bringing us in this time to a period of imposed fasting so that we can seek him more and learn in new ways to live by faith. Two weeks ago, we had our hub that meets on a Thursday evening and, and we were um, thinking about the Beatitudes and sharing together about what we felt God might be asking us to give up so that we can become more poor in spirit. Um, closer to his kingdom, we shared what we wanted to give up for Lent. And I said as a joke that I felt I needed to give up busyness but that I, I was actually more busy than um, I had been before. But last week, I had to cancel a whole load of meetings, and I suddenly found myself with time on my hands. The question is, what am I going to do with it? Am I just going to fill it with Netflix movies or other stuff to do, just catch up with emails, or am I going to see this as a time of personal fasting that God has opened up unexpectedly before me? A sort of unexpected opportunity to seek God, to learn to trust him, to offer to him my worries, my concerns, an opportunity to seek first his kingdom. That would, of course, be the Jesus way. The question is, can I seize it? So I believe God in our day is calling us to pray. I also believe he's calling us to fast. And I believe he's calling us to give. And that is the third element of Jesus' teaching in the passage that we read this morning. Now it's funny because we originally thought of today as our annual gift day. And I guess it still is. Um, and we'll talk about that a little later. But I do wonder whether here too, we aren't gonna to have to do things a little bit differently. I think our gift day is probably gonna be a gift season, a gift period. Because it is an opportunity, I believe, for us to show faith through giving.
You know, it's really interesting how times of crises bring out the best and the worst in people, don't they? But let's focus on the best for a minute. Don't you love the way in which you see good things rising to the surface? We can become incredibly generous when we're under pressure in times of crisis. Generous with our, with our time. Generous with our abilities. Generous with our money. And you know, in times of fear, one of the best ways to avoid being overwhelmed is by turning our attention to others and by giving. I was really struck by um, a friend of mine who posted on Facebook how he, as a family, they, they decided to, uh, to write a note to each of their neighbours that they put through the letterbox where they live, saying that as a family they wanted to help anybody who was having to self-isolate by going and buying food for them. That's a generous thing, isn't it? That's faith. That's thinking outside the box. How about we do that as a church? How about you do that? This morning we were talking after the nine o'clock service about Psalm 91, which affirms our choice to trust in God and that is how we know we will not be shaken. How about we distribute that Psalm to people as an act of generous giving? One of our local restaurant owners is offering to provide free food for vulnerable residents should they need it and has contacted the churches in order to ask for us to work together. That's generous giving, isn't it? That's seizing the opportunity, being creative. Now, as a church, we've been wanting to learn to be generous givers. We want to be a generous church. That's been a theme over this last year. We've got a booklet that talks about giving, which is called Generous Giving. Well, maybe now is a new opportunity for us to live by faith as we learn to give in new ways, fresh ways. Maybe we should take time to phone each other, text each other, giving our time to bless and encourage one another. But financially, since today is our gift day, here's an opportunity for us to step outside the box. We've got a box here, I don't mean that box. You know, I mean the box. Just think about gift day for a moment. Think about the logic of giving. We are blessed with an extraordinarily generous church. Did you know that? Did you know that each year over 200,000 pounds is given through planned giving by members of our church? Do you realize that? Over 200,000 pounds. That's incredible. We are so grateful for what people give. But we also believe that here's an opportunity for us to step up. We believe that there are maybe some who do not give regularly to the church who could start doing so. How about now as a moment to challenge yourself? And so actually when we were setting the budget for this year, we decided to increase it. And we're praying this year that 228,000 pounds will come through regular giving to our church by church members. Maybe you can be part of the answer to that. A step of faith. 
But of course, talking about gift day, it's not just about regular giving, it's about one-off gifts as well. And, and this year, we've got a budget of 100,000 pounds from one-off gifts. And most of that typically comes through gift day. How in the world is that gonna happen this year? As we have fewer people in church, our minds are on other things. How is God gonna meet our needs? Well, perhaps, just perhaps despite everything, now is a good time for us to be challenged to give. In the uncertainty, it's a time for us to nail our colors to the mast, to live by faith and not just by sight. It's a time not to worry about tomorrow, but a time to seek first God's kingdom by giving. You know, in um, 1 Peter, the um, apostle talks about how uh, the church is being together built up as a sort of spiritual house. Do you remember that image? with each of us as, a, as living stones. So let's imagine today's gift day, 100,000 pounds. Let's imagine that that 100,000 pounds is living stones. That's 10 living stones of 10,000 pounds each. But 10 isn't a very big and dynamic church, is it? But that could also be 100 living stones of 1,000 pounds each. But of course, the building that Peter is talking about isn't a uniform building made of identical stones. It's made of lots of other subtle living stones too. So we can imagine 100,000 pounds is also made up of stones of 500 pounds or 200 pounds or 20 pounds or five pounds or one pound. I love the way that sort of from an architectural point of view, some of the most impressive buildings are made beautiful not by the big stones but by the small and subtle ones. Have you ever thought about that? They're the ones that give lightness and beauty and depth to the whole and without the build, them, the building would have holes in it. I also love the way in, in medieval times, stonemasons building cathedrals would spend hours, days, weeks carving intricate details that they knew would then be hidden from sight high up in the roof unseen by anyone except God of course because they did their work for him and so it is with our living house this year we need a hundred thousand pounds some of it will come from generous donors who can give lots and lots of money but some of it will come from those of us who have less but can give with real care and sacrifice your gift may be objectively small, but it is spiritually large. And it adds wonderful beauty to the whole building because it comes from a generous heart. And it is given not for the praise of others, but for the praise of God. So actually today, in the midst of crisis, it's probably a good time to hear that we can live by faith as we give generously, extravagantly, spiritually. So there we have it. A passage in which Jesus calls us to faith and not fear. And we do that as we pray. We do it as we fast. And we do it as we give. And all of it is done in the climate of confidence 
Because Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, but trust for today. Talked about Psalm 91 earlier on and Jean-Luc read a part of it. It begins like this. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That's living by faith. Jesus puts it slightly differently. He says, seek first the kingdom. And all these other things will be given to you. So a crisis is an opportunity not for fear, but for faith. And that, friends, is the Jesus way. Amen.